Hi, my name is Jared Dudley, and you're listening to the Solar Panel, a Phoenix Sun show. So Devin Booker is now the youngest player in NBA history to hit 500 threes. Not only that, this is one of the few accolades he was able to uh, win or to receive, I should say, while also winning games. So I think he actually kind of enjoyed it. Why would you have to take the shot? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's like, actually that's, that's not a shot. I don't think everything the is everything is a shot. I, <laughs> you guys I are mean, the worst. I, I am happy for Devin. Uh, it doesn't surprise me he uh, it, that that he's been able to accomplish some of these things. And, and when you think about some of the other great three point shooters uh, and high volume three point shooters uh, in league history, a lot of those guys uh, were four year college guys. You think about Steph Curry; he went four years at, at Davidson, if I'm right, or at least three at Davidson before he came in. So he came in much older than Devin. So uh, Devin coming in one year and then uh, really taking on uh, a, a high volume uh, load for the Suns uh, put him in a position to accomplish this. But obviously uh, he, he's a great shooter. Uh, we all know he can score uh, immensely uh, easily. And uh, and I'm excited for him. It's, it's good to see him wind up on, on these kind of lists uh, and at the top of these kind of lists because it, it just proves uh, his skill set. Look, Tim is totally right that um, that Devin Booker has not accomplished any of his individual accolades while winning games. The Suns have the worst record in the league over the last four years, and so and that's absolutely true. Uh, and even recently, in the last couple of months, it was it was pretty obvious that Devin Booker wasn't doing all the right things to get the Suns uh, wins. He was. He was um, had 75% usage rate toward the end of games. He was forcing threes, which was bringing his three-point percentage down. Uh, but somehow over the last couple of weeks, he's really dialed it back in. He's really decided that he's going to contribute in, in uh, uh, even more so in the right ways. Um, he's had a bad year, basically, in my opinion, as far as leading toward wins, whereas last year uh, the, the argument that he wasn't playing uh, well enough to to lead teams to wins was was not true because he was doing the right things and I think he's finally gotten back to it this year. Uh, it's been a tough year for him mentally. Uh, he was hoping the Suns would win more games too and they just haven't. And he got into a real funk. But right now this team is playing really well, and I'm happy that he gets to actually stand in front of a camera for once and say. I don't care that I'm the youngest to 500 three-pointers. I'd rather just talk about the win we just notched against one of the league's better teams. So I'm happy for him, and uh, it's nice because just two weeks ago he said he was at his lowest point with the Suns, and now he's saying he's at his highest point. <laughs> it's amazing what a couple of wins can do, and good wins hey, too. It really is. It really is. It's like a complete relief, and the fact, you know, the – the best thing about um, their their recent wins was that they were actually able to sustain it against a bad team. Usually they play down to the bad teams and they play up to the good teams to the point where they're just losing all the games by 10 to 15 points. And uh, so that was nice that uh, against the Knicks, they were able to uh, continue that. I can't remember what it was that Devin Booker had, what accolade he had. It received. It was uh, earlier in the season, but he was basically like, "I don't even care because we aren't winning the games." You know, at this mm -hmm. point, it doesn't matter. Uh, it was also pretty cool. I think he was the first to five thousand points. First, and that's when he got mad. That's what it was. Yeah, he was the he was the youngest. Sorry, the youngest to five thousand points, and he got mad about that because, well, he got mad about talking about it because the Suns were in the middle of a losing streak, um, which is good. You should not be happy about individual accolades if you are losing game after game after game after game it should be grading on you it should not be something you're looking forward to and then you're i mean really what what rubbed people really wrong about lebron james a few weeks ago is after everything he's done and after and the lakers were in their own losing streak he was complimenting himself on instagram about um his uh, i think he came he brought himself up to third in total points scored in his career something like that uh, there was some accolade he hit, and uh, he was he was bragging about that on Instagram after the Lakers were had a loss. So fans don't like to see that, and players should not be focusing on that. 
no and uh to your point yeah it's been devin devin's attitude has dramatically changed after winning three games in a row because if i'm correct i'm not sure that he's he's actually been on the court for this for a winning streak of of more than three before has he correct yeah no it's, yeah. it's topped out at three he was not on the court for all four wins in december so yeah. he can't take credit for that but that was their longest win streak since 2014 when they won four in a row in december so is this more sustainable gonna... than that uh What's win that? streak is this more sustainable than that win streak they had in december because i feel like it is personally I well, feel, yeah that Go that's the big question that's the big question for me i I've enjoyed this win streak. I've loved what I've seen, but we did see, I mean, this is a similar pattern to what we saw in December. They had lost 10 in a row. They won four in a row. And then they, the seven. wheels, or, or, or excuse me, five out of seven. No, with both, the chance both. To, uh, four in a row and five out of seven. You're right. Yeah. So, so, and then, and then the wheels fell off again. And, and then the 17 game losing streak happened and they've won uh, four out of five with a chance to win four in a row uh and so to me i'm excited to see this i'm glad and i i really hope it's sustainable but then again it, that the little voice in the back of my head goes well we did see him win four in a row in in, in december so yeah, is, the thing about the December the stretch, and we all did feel pretty good about the December stretch, but that was with Devin in and out of the lineup, and um, they were beating about the same teams. They had wins against the Bucks uh, in there. Uh, they had a win against the Bucks. They had a win against the Knicks in there, which is two of their three wins they've just had this current week. So it is possible that this is not repeatable. Um, but I do think that the way they're playing is more repeatable now. It just feels like, it looks like, that uh, they know more what they're they they've been able to withstand some uh, runs by the other teams, which has been good to see. And the Suns have more playable veterans now than they did then. Kelly Oubre was a part of some of that winning streak back in December, uh, but it's nice to see some more consistent play from uh, from another guard besides Devin Booker. And while Tyler Johnson does not set the world on fire, he actually is playing at least predictable, consistent basketball. I mean, the guy's got a 40 to nine uh, assist to turnover ratio in the last uh, several games, which is really good. And I think uh, that's that just shows that, you know, you can't have these live ball turnovers in the backcourt where uh, the other team is getting uh, fast break after fast break. And so Tyler Johnson has been good, at least not turning that ball over like that. So. I think this is more sustainable. They also have a more consistently easier schedule, although the um, over the weekend it's it's Portland and, and Golden State. But overall, for the last 15, 16 games of the year, it, there there are some wins that can be had there. Yeah, and I, and I think I, I agree with that. And I, I think the point guard play and, and what Tyler Johnson, I retract my Tyler Johnson comments from, from a few episodes well, ago. What did you call him, he Ofer Johnson? Played, what? What do you call him? Ofer Johnson? Yeah, yep. and I called him Ofer Johnson. You know what? I'm going to take credit for Tyler Johnson's turnaround and the Suns' turnaround because I called Tyler Ofer, and then I made a stupid bet with Dave. And since then, both uh, both the team and Tyler Johnson have looked fantastic. So I'm just a reverse jinx right now, and I'm happy to do that for for the fan base and this team. So you're all welcome. Uh, but no, Tyler Johnson has uh, has brought an energy, has 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 played well, and to Dave's point, has not turned over the ball. And what this shows us is, if you have a serviceable NBA level point guard, not great, but serviceable, uh, a guy that's that's going to protect the ball and and play smart at that position, it makes a world of impact on what Igor and his system can do with this team and that that is the most encouraging thing to me because it means if you seriously address that going into the offseason it should help you tenfold going into next year and and that that is very very encouraging to me and why i i think that this may be more sustainable than december is because unless tyler johnson got hurt knock on wood uh, you know, I don't foresee them returning to really bad point guard play. So that should help them 
throughout, and uh, and that is exciting. And then we've seen DeAndre Ayton evolve a little bit uh, as well over this win streak, which helps this team as well. And and that's another reason why I think this is a it is more sustainable. Now, I'm not gonna panic if they lose, and and this probably will be released after uh, these two games. But if they lose to Portland and Golden State. There's no reason to panic. Those are two good teams, and you're on the road in mm-hmm. two tough arenas to play at. Uh, those are acceptable losses for a young team. Uh, as long as they're competitive, as long as they're not 30, 40-point losses, you don't look at it and go, <clears throat> oh, well, this is a major setback. Those yeah. are the kind of losses you can accept. It's I, overall uh, going to be a tough week. They've got the the Blazers and, and the Warriors on the weekend, which, like I said, like you just said, Greg, uh, folks will probably be – um, have seen already before they listen to this pod. But then they have the, <clears throat> the Jazz at home on Wednesday and then the Rockets on the road, and the Rockets are surging right now uh, on Friday in Houston. So their next possible winnable game will be the one they just lost to the Pelicans, and this time it would be in New Orleans. But then after that, you got the Bulls, you got the Pistons, who are always beatable. You have the Kings, who are coming a little bit back down to earth, but God, I love watching them play. Another Jazz game. Then you you got the Wizards, Grizzlies, Cavs, Jazz, and Pelicans again. I mean, it, there are some wins that can be had. Like I said, I called my shot a couple weeks ago. I said they were going to approach 20 wins. They actually might get there. What the the schedule makers a little bizarre. They Suns played most of their uh, Lakers games, if I remember, up front in the schedule, uh-huh. and then they played the Jazz three times in the final. Uh, final few weeks of the season like what the hell yeah it's been kind of weird uh that's for sure and they played the clippers a lot early too yeah when the clippers are really good the clippers are still a pretty good team but i want to want to go ahead and thank a couple listeners for supporting the podcast the youtube show so if you're watching us on youtube right now or if you're listening on your podcast and you look in the show notes below there's a button that says uh, support the show. You can open that up. It's really easy if you want to support the show. Uh, you feel like we bring some value to your life. If you want to do a $1, a $5, or a $10 monthly um, uh, in-kind donation, if you will, to the show, we do really appreciate it. If you do the $10 option, I will go ahead and send you some sun swag. So this week, I want to thank Joe Shook as well as Salvador Jimenez. Joe already got his swag, but Salvador, if you want to go ahead and hit us up on Twitter or on Facebook, let me know your address because I don't know what it is. I don't know where to send it. I'll go ahead and get that out to you this week. And again, thank you so much for supporting the Sun Solar Panel Podcast. We're sponsored by Bright Side of the Sun, and by sponsor, they don't actually give us a penny. Go to brightsideofthesun.com for all the latest solar panel episodes. Uh, So I was taking a look at uh, some net ratings of some different lineups um, since the February 6th uh, acquisition of Tyler Johnson. And uh, they're pretty good, Um, pretty good. So uh, talking about five-man lineups, uh, Tyler Johnson, Devin Booker, Kelly Oubre, Josh Jackson, and DeAndre Ayton. That is a net rating of a plus 14.7. When you do switch out Jackson for Bridges, that drops all the way down to a 1.8. A positive net rating, but so you're losing about 13 points right there uh, per under possessions. And when you switch Jackson out for Dragon Bender, it falls to a negative 8.6. Although I think that is a little bit misleading because Dragon Bender has been very useful in certain situations when the Suns are just getting beaten up by um, size, if you will. I Everything is predicated on whether Bender makes his first shot. And God, I'm, I'm so happy when I see his shot drop in the first quarter because then I know he's going to, even if he only plays 12 minutes, it'll have been a pretty good 12 minutes. Yeah. Uh, but overall, since acquiring since acquiring Tyler Johnson, since putting Kelly Oubre into the starting lineup, um, the Suns have been pretty good. I think it is interesting that even with, uh, with Josh Jackson in there, the Suns are a positive 14.7. And also the fact that the Suns are better with Josh Jackson in that lineup than Mikel Bridges, uh, it's surprising because Mikel Bridges started out the season so strong. Obviously, he's in a different role now. He's still a rookie. He's still figuring out how to, how to play and make an impact off the bench. Uh, but I do think that that was interesting. Let me tell you what, man. Uh, Mikel Bridges is the one I have the least worry about for his career. That oh, dude is going to be so good for so long, and he's always going to be on the underappreciated list. He is continually, especially if the Suns start winning games, national media will pick up on it too. 
they'll they'll everyone will be like the 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 hidden Mikhail Bridges fan, except there'll be millions of them uh, because he isn't going to do everything on the scoreboard. But man, three steals here, two blocks there, you know, uh, leading the league and pass deflection type uh, type plays. The guy is just so naturally good. And it's not just natural. He, he works his butt off, too. So he, he, he maximizes everything he's got. I love watching that kid play. How, how much does that, and forgive me, this is my analytics ignorance again, but uh, how much of that net reading is just impacted by the fact that Josh Jackson tries to score more than Mikhail Bridget? Like, uh, is that a swing because no, Josh Jackson, Josh Jackson misses score all more? his shots? But that, but he also right. Yeah, I know more. <laughs> right. But that's not going to make your net rating better if you're missing all your shots. Um, it's, it's if anything, it can make the it can bring down the net rating of the five man lineup. Uh, three yeah, man lineups. No, uh, Josh Jackson, I, I told, I, uh, he's he's a tough one. He he goes through good stretches where his shot puts go in. Um, he tries really hard. He plays fairly good defense. Uh, he's always moving, always engaged. If you're looking for energy, he's going to bring it. But um, I, he just always reminds me of Archie Goodwin, for better or for worse. Uh, him, so, Josh Jackson, and Kelly Oubre together defensively, uh, they're fantastic. The, the way that they can yeah. switch every, they're real. They play defense off of each other incredibly well. And is that why you think there's this difference in, in net rating between I don't know Jackson's on the floor and Bridges? I don't know. It's it's in a fairly large sample size too. I do have some three man lineup net ratings that I think are pretty interesting. Um, so and this is based off of a really large sample size. Again, it's since February sixth. Uh, out of 178 minutes, uh, Kelly Oubre, Devin Booker, and DeAndre Ayton are a positive net rating of 6.7. But when you switch that out for Josh Jackson over Kelly Oubre, so Josh Jackson, Devin Booker, and DeAndre Ayton, that's a negative 2.7 net rating. So as I saw on Twitter, and I wish I could give the guy uh, the credit for I don't remember who tweeted it, um, but maybe it was even Dave that said it. I just, I don't remember, but uh, Kelly Oubre is a player that Josh Jackson wanted to be. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. I, I, you know, I thought uh, for a couple of months, I didn't, I didn't tweet that. So let's give credit to whoever that was if we could. But um, I have thought that Kelly Oubre is the guy we want uh, Josh Jackson to be in a couple of years. And Kelly Oubre is already there. So the only difference is the money. Um, Oubre, we'll see what, what kind of money he can get this summer of course he's going to want a lot of money but restricted free agents don't get offers and so it could be that the Suns are in a pretty good position if they don't jump the gun and outbid themselves um that they could get him for the 13 to 15 million range that would be nice jackson himself is going to make nine plus million in the next year or two anyway just because of where he was drafted even on his rookie contract so um you're not paying tons more for an a fully actualized the best you can get out of Josh Jackson is going to be Kelly Oubre that we already have. I think you're totally right. Whoever you are on Twitter, uh, Oubre is who Josh Jackson wanted to be, including looks, right? I think uh, think he's probably (laughs) jealous there as well. But I, I think it's a huge benefit to have Kelly Oubre there for Josh Jackson's development too because it gives Josh Jackson a guy to look at and go, this is the way, this is the blueprint for me. This is the way I should play moving forward. And, and I think that's why he looks so good on defense when Kelly Oubre's out there, because it, it gives him somebody to to emulate and to work off of and feed off of. Uh, and I don't think there's anything but uh, positive with that. And, and that's why I hope they find a way to keep Kelly Oubre in the offseason, uh, because I think it has a positive impact uh, on Jackson in the long term as well. Well, let's talk about that. So Kelly Oubre had made some comments that were very welcomed by Suns fans uh, over the week saying he doesn't want to go anywhere else. He wants to essentially build a dynasty and be part of a dynasty in Phoenix. And I think that that was music to a lot of Suns fans ears because uh, Suns fans really like Kelly Oubre. And I just kind of wondered, does this put even additional pressure on the front office to keep Kelly Oubre this offseason? Well, no, I don't think it it does because it, most front offices is, uh, you know, aren't going to make their personnel decisions based on the fans necessarily because 
they have a job to do. And if it doesn't make sense to them from a personnel fit or whatever puzzle they're trying to put together, it's not going to matter what he's saying or what the fans are saying. Where this is important, though, is it goes a long way uh, to proving uh, or reinstilling that Phoenix is a place that people want to be. When was the last time we were talking about a guy with of of high talent level saying he wants to be here legitimately? Now, Devin Booker's a little different. They back yeah, the Brinks truck up, Brinks truck up, and it's tough to say. Uh, I'll pass on that 158 million. Thank you. But Kelly Oubre has no benefit to say that it actually hurts his value probably because he's telling other teams, this is really where I want to be. So uh, I, uh, it's music to my ears to hear that. It's great to see a guy that, that epitomizes the effort level that you want to see in the defensive mindset that you want to see want to be here long-term. Now it's going to come down to numbers, but I'm okay if you slightly overpay, for Kelly Oubre, as long as you have a plan to move one of the other small forwards to help you fill fill uh, the gaps that you have in your roster. And uh, that's the key for me. What I like about Oubre is, is not only that he's just 23 years old still, so he's in the beginning of his NBA prime, uh, but also that he constantly moves. He is a tsunami out there. Um, I don't love his nickname, Tsunami Poppy. Aren't, aren't you guys selling those shirts, Bright Side of the Sun? Yeah, we are. I don't love the nickname, but he does. That's what Dave, he calls himself on Twitter. Dave will do anything to make a buck. He doesn't care. In like literally a dollar. That's how much you make on it, selling a t-shirt. Okay. It's very little, but it's more than this podcast. So, that's, that's you know, I'll true. take that. Uh, we, just... we made more than a dollar. <laughs> when you factor in what i spend a month on certain aspects for the show i'm not yeah. sure that we're, we've made any money <laughs> okay yeah, let's uh so exactly. let's let's um you guys tell me if this is going to if you think that this is going to be within five million dollars less or more than the number that kelly Oubre is going to get from the suns this off season four years 60 million that's 15 a year i think that's about right Yes, I think that's probably within two or three million, uh, either either side of that of what he gets, depending on the competition in the marketplace. Let's say the so, Suns gave him four years, eighty-five million. Eh, that that's when you get in a range where you go, that's like, ah, yeah, that's a lot of money. I'm not sure. One twenty-two. That's way too much. Yeah. Okay. Like, so here's the thing. The Suns are not going to be, almost certainly, the Suns are not going to be fighting off another team's offer sheet. They're not, they, it, that's just not the way it works anymore with the CBA. There's a lot of res, unrestricted free agents out there that you don't have to wait two days to get the other team not to match. Kelly Oubre is not quite good enough for another team to want to pay $22 million a year to start. So I don't think, uh, to. I mean, the uh, the first year and then it goes up or whatever from there, I don't think the Suns are going to be having to match an offer sheet to Kelly Oubre. So the question is going to be, in their game of chicken, who are you know what who's going to blink first with Kelly Oubre? Three years ago, four years ago now, uh, four years ago now, they blinked right off the bat to re-sign Brandon Knight to the maximum deal they could at the time. Ooh, the year that before that, out. what's that? That worked out. Yeah, right. And because the year before that, they waited all summer trying to get Eric Bledsoe to drop his price. He never did. They signed him literally hours before training camp started. And that was a long summer. And they made some really bad personnel moves that summer to hedge against losing Eric Bledsoe. So clearly, Ryan McDonough is not a restricted free agency maven. We'll see how uh, James Jones is if he's still the GM. Um, I'm assuming he'll probably be the GM. Uh, and uh, we'll see how James Jones does. Does he blink first and just give Kelly Oubre the money Kelly Oubre is asking for on day one? Or does he wait a week? Does he wait three days? Does he wait three months? I I don't, I, to Dave's point, I don't think that they're going to wind up having to match some ridiculously large offer like you just suggested. Or any offer. I don't yeah. think I don't even think an average offer because the I think the Suns have do have a good enough relationship with Ubre and his agent that um, there'll be some gentleman's agreement. Hey, I'm gonna do you want me to sign this offer sheet for 15 or can you just give it to me? Yeah. Well, I the only way I could see that that 
they could hit a speed bump, a road bump, is if some team structures a deal similar to the way the Tyler Johnson deal was oh, structured. Oh, they can't. They can't is do that, it. Is that no longer yeah, that's allowed? Not, well, no, no. It's just because Kelly Oubre was actually a first-round pick. The only right. reason Tyler Johnson was able to get that poison pill contract is because he was a – no, okay, so DeAnthony Melton a year from now, I'm pretty sure can be signed to that poison pill if okay. somebody wanted to do it. Uh, because he was a second round pick and he'll be a free agent and the early bird rights and all that stuff gotcha. are in play for DeAnthony Melton. But um, no, it's it's going to be a straight, straight offer with no more than I think uh, four and a half percent increases at the most. I need I need to go back to my CBA FAQ and uh, and uh, do a little refresher on that. It's been I a while. Still so. It is. It's the the best thing if you're trying to understand what the hell you, the teams can do uh, within the restriction. So so then if there's no poison pill in play here, then I don't foresee any issue with this. If they want to keep him, they're going to keep him and they're going to keep him at a fairly. I mean, I wish I could say 15 million is reasonable in, in any other kind of uh position in the world but uh, (laughs) reasonable mba contract let's put this into a little context would you rather pay kelly Oubre 15 million a year uh what well what's a better deal because the suns will probably be paying both what's a better deal 15 million a year for kelly Oubre or 11 million a year for tj warren 15 for Oubre because he gives you something on both ends of the court Ubre is a tsunami on defense. Ubre, Ubre, it, it depends. So with with Ubre playing the way he's played, uh, I think that he has made TJ Warren expendable with this lineup uh, on this roster. But I don't think that one necessarily has a, a ton better value than the other one does. Um, okay. But he okay, does. Let- it, it gives it gives the Suns an absolute ability to use TJ Warren to fill a, a gap that they have now. Come on. Let's, let's look at this. Ubre gives you defense. Warren's not. Ubre can have big nights offensively. That's Warren probably gets the, uh, gets the slight edge. Potential for bigger nights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then the, the difference maker here is, Kelly Oubre Jr. brings the ladies to the arena. TJ Warren does not. So there you go. It leans in Oubre's favor. You you want to uh, you want to talk about uh, conspiracy theories with uh, TJ Warren right now? Because uh, on the the Suns internet sphere, Suns fans internet sphere, it's starting to become a a TJ Warren is only out because the Suns are going to trade him. That, that's not. No. That's definitely not it. Now there's probably more than a an ankle sprain at this point, much like his head injury back a few <laughs> years ago was more than, than, than anything yes. they ever let on. And no, I feel like, not- yes, I feel like something else is going on and it is not a devastating, uh, um, health issue that should be reported so we can feel sympathy for TJ Warren. There's something about TJ Warren that is unsympathetic that just a lingering lingering ankle injury is the play that they all agreed to to roll the dice with. Well, I mean, it's I was like, there. Well, I think we were all there when he rolled his ankle, but it's been no, it's he, been a while. He now. rolled it, but seriously, if this was a high ankle sprain, okay. So Lonzo Ball is also probably out for the season, right, with an ankle sprain. So it is quite possible that this is such a heavy ankle sprain, it's not going away. And you lose all the spring in your – I had an ankle sprain. I'm old. I know that. But I had an ankle sprain uh, for like six months, and I've never had that before. I've rolled my ankle tons of times in my life. But it stayed for six months this past year, and I can see where I had no lift. I had no spring. I was constantly wearing um, the brace when I was exercising – um, yeah, and, and, uh, so I can see how these high deep bone, deep bone bruise ankle sprains can last, but you would think that there would be some other news about this than TJ Warren is out ankle soreness. Yeah, it could be potentially it originally was an ankle sprain, something else embarrassing to a play to the player happened that they don't want to report. I've seen that before in my time. Uh, no, I'm not going to give you any details on any of that. But uh, oh, come on, Greg! But hit him up in DMs. Up. We, we, <laughs> yeah, we sl- want to know. Slide into my DMs. We can talk. <laughs> I also love that. I love that Dave just went into my favorite segment on Suns podcast and NBA podcast in general. 
unathletic white guy tries to compare his life to yes. NBA player. Like, that's exactly it, because that's what I always do. I always compare <laughs> myself to them. That's that's always my favorite <laughs> on any of these podcasts. But yeah, so there's, I mean, it could but, okay, be. Okay, so let me, let me do the Alonzo Ball part instead. Alonzo Ball is going to be out, they're saying, probably for the rest of the season and with an ankle sprain. So these things do happen to NBA athletes as well. Yeah, but I mean, in the Lakers' case right now, they're also going to be resting LeBron James. Uh, they're they're trying to improve their draft position as much yeah. as they can, right? right. Because they know the I mean, playoffs are now right. So they're going to wait until TJ is a hundred percent. Same exact logic. I uh, see. I don't know that it is the, like I, I don't buy into this the conspiracy theory though. Which Tim's initial. Uh, comment was that they they think they're going to trade him or whatever and that if no way because you the gm doesn't even know if he's going to be here past april april 15th like that why no i just meant that there's no they're not playing for the playoffs they're not playing for no. anything for the same reason the lakers are going to let lonzo ball completely heal before they force him on a court again has always been the reason the Suns are doing it with tj but you would kind of wonder, or you'd kind of think that TJ would be more motivated to get back on the floor yeah. because he's losing ground to all these other small yeah. forwards with this team and that it's going to gonna have an impact. So uh, That's and, exactly my concern, Greg. I, why isn't TJ Warren fighting harder to get back? Well, they might That's want to, question. and the Suns might want to see what a TJ Warren and a Kelly Oubre what a rotation right. looks like. How does that fit? Is can they bring off uh, TJ off the bench? Is that possible? Does that help? What does that do for the team? Like, I'm sure the Suns want to see it. I I, I want to see it. I'm curious. Why wouldn't they? Right. I totally agree. I think he should be fighting to get back right now, um, and he just doesn't appear to be to us. And that's part of that is just his personality. He's not a talker. He's not a he's not a um, a sharer like that. That's for sure. Well, bright side of the sun is there for some uh, sun's practices. You know, uh, I'm not. Uh, He's not around though. They they only they only bring out the players they want to bring out for you to see to talk to. You don't get to just go hunt down players. Mm-hmm. Well, and you don't just get to walk into practice. It's usually ten minutes at the end, and it's it's usually layups and it's stuff. Only the so. light, yeah, the lights shoot around. But what what are you seeing, TJ Warren, out there doing any sort of basketball drills in the in the in the uh, practice? He's shooting. The only thing we've seen, from what I've heard, because I don't make the practices, but or the uh, a lot of the pre the early early pre games, um, he is doing shooting around the perimeter, and he's not jumping. But that's that's TJ Warren in general. Does. So nobody does in those, right? Exactly. Nobody does in those warmups that are visible to the public. I don't think I've seen a guy clear three inches on any move because what they're doing is they're practicing the, uh, the step, you know, the the motions, and they're not doing it at full speed. The only time I ever saw anybody actually jump is they had a dunk contest uh, a few. Uh, uh, a handful of years back when Gerald Green was on the team, at a post-practice dunk contest. That was the only time I saw anything athletic in those 10 Oh, that's when they threw it off the sidewall and stuff like that? Yeah, it was right. It was after LeBron did it while practicing at the at the facility, yeah. and they they decided, hey, we're going we're gonna to showcase what we can do here too. But that's, I'd like that's to it. See, I'd like to see a Josh Jackson post-practice dunk contest. He, he put on he could put on a bit of a show I'm sure I know he could I'm, I'm just curious about his conversion rate <laughs> I mean I do like talking about conversion rates so uh, Dave had mentioned earlier on in the episode a bit about uh, Devin Booker and, and crunch time and, and clutch situations and the usage rate and something we touched on earlier in the season he had this, I don't even remember what it is but some astronomical high 75 percent. it was like 75 percent, way higher than it should be for basically any player uh apart from lebron james Giannis, james harden that kind of thing in well, clutch situations even those guys know better right and they don't get to 75 <laughs> so i was taking a look at it since again these are all stats since february 6th since acquiring um uh, tyler johnson kelly Oubre. uh devin booker's clutch time usage is 38 percent, still incredibly high Kelly Oubre's 19% and Tyler Johnson is 14%. So while it is high, it is nowhere near the 75% that it was. Okay, two two things. What's DeAndre Ayton's percentage at? 
It's got to be. It's got to be. Well, I think it was at zero for a long time, but it, it yeah. might be a little higher now. Uh, it um, is at twelve point five. Okay. I mean, so they look, just man, don't pass my, him the ball. Some of my favorite plays that I've seen from DeAndre Aiden have come in the last week in crunch time, where he has uh, Devin Booker and he have have combined on a couple of pick and rolls that have just been wow. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to um, Aiton himself getting more comfortable in crunch time and knowing how to convert against another another player who's defending him. Um, he's always been fine on catching and finishing without anyone touching him. But this past week, he suddenly decided it's okay to go through another player to the rim. And I've really loved watching that. In games yeah. that are uh, within five points, uh, within five minutes of the game, how many minutes do you think Josh Jackson averages in those final five minutes of close games? One. Mm-hmm. That's a good question because he used to be in those a lot. Probably lately less, right? Because it's Bridges and Ubre. 0.5. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was getting all the crunch time minutes earlier in the year because he was the guy Igor would say, oh, he's going he's gonna to disrupt the other team's offense because of his activity. But now you've got... Um, Ubre in there with Bridges, and and that can cause the disruption. Where I am a little disappointed is, and I know um, Tyler Johnson, Igor's going to stick with Tyler Johnson the same way he stuck with Isaiah Kanan earlier in the year, and he has every right to because you want a veteran in there who's not going to turn the ball over. I just mentioned earlier in the pod that um, Tyler Johnson's uh, assist-to-turnover ratio is – 40 to nine and uh, his steals are at 14. So he's almost a 1.5 steals to turnovers ratio, let alone four to one on assists. So I see why you put Tyler Johnson in there at the end, but uh, to finish my thought, I am a little disappointed that DeAnthony Melton doesn't have any place to go in this lineup because he is so good at disrupting uh, the other team as well. However, when you've got Tyler Johnson, Devin Booker, Kelly Oubre, Mikel Bridges, and DeAndre Aiden. There really is no room for anybody else, and I think that's a heck of a closing lineup for this team. He's also obviously there are better closing lineups for other teams, but oh. ahead, is it is it surprising though that it that they've had more success since they've shifted to this lineup using Josh Jackson less, having a Tyler Johnson at point? It explains the the drop in late game usage for Devin Booker because he's not having to play point guard and he defaulted mm-hmm. to hero ball in that and with Josh Jackson off the floor uh, it's less turnovers in those final minutes well he may be disruptive on uh, on the defensive end he was as disruptive on the offensive end in the negative side because uh, he would he had poor decisions so so it doesn't surprise me that you've seen this and i agree it'd be nice to see d'anthony melton get some chances in that because he's he is so disruptive but right now it makes sense why we've seen an uptick in performance and why we've seen uh, efficiency with the, with this lineup to me. I, I don't think there's anything that where I go, no, you really need to change this guy out because it just makes sense. Let me say one more favorite Devin Booker moment for the week, and this is just a little thing, and I probably took too much out of it, but I enjoyed it. Um, on Wednesday against the Knicks, uh, Booker was at 39 points and six threes with about five minutes left in the fourth quarter, and the Suns were up 15 or 17 points. So he's never exceeded six threes in a game, and he's never exceeded 40 points at home. Uh, So he had great chances in the last five minutes where it was just playing out the string, and Devin Booker could have taken over then. It wouldn't have been the crunch time minutes we're talking about, but he could have taken over to force the issue to get himself um, his seventh three and just taken and launched, and he did not. He actually lived up to what he says now after games. It's not about personal accolades. It's about winning games. And he enjoyed the Suns actually having the advantage in a blowout win uh, and uh, just playing it out. And he was passing. He was on the court. He just passed the ball off more often than he took shots. He did get his one more shot uh, made, so he got up to 41 points. But that was just because the Knicks were going at him with with hard defense so that he wouldn't be able to score. And he's just like, screw it. Let me just show you how I can. But then he then he was done, and he didn't take another three in the last four minutes. And I thought that was mature of him, and it does back up his words after games. If he was fighting for that seventh three by taking five more threes, then you know his words would be more hollow uh, that he's not after individual accolades. So uh, shout out to – so Real GM <clears throat> every day after games puts out uh, a tweet talking about the the top um, 
and top uh, uh, box scores of, of players from the night before. Yeah. And shout out to them for not including Devin Booker in that, even though Devin Booker <laughs> scored 41. I think the next highest player had like 26 points, uh, four assists, four rebounds on a win on uh, really effective shooting. You know, just but, totally ignoring the fact that Devin Booker did that at home. Well, but he did it. He was. I'm not. I'm sorry if I missed out what you were saying, Tim. But Tim Devin Booker not only did the 41, but it was on 13 of 19 shooting. That's and what it I was mean. On, it, yeah, it, that's it what you're saying. It wasn't like and 41 assists, points and on seven rebounds. Right. It wasn't like it was 41 points on 20 percent shooting. I mean, he was effective. He was efficient, uh, and they got the okay, win. Yeah. And yet, real GMs still didn't but, include him in that. Like like actual real GMs, they ignore the Suns. So, uh, like I, I although you're totally right though. But how impressive we go take a step back to what we were talking about Devin Booker earlier. He's the youngest to get to 500 threes ever, and yet he's never hit more than six in a game. That makes it that imp- more impressive to me that he's that he's gotten he's, that 500. He's gotten, mark. To, he's gotten to six like 12 times, 11 yeah. or 12 times. It's not like Steph where he's going to have, you know, a, a 10 or 11 night, you know, with threes on a, on a semi-regular basis. Like, uh, he's done it while hitting six at max in a game. He was at five with four minutes left in the third quarter before his prescribed, well, not prescribed, but before his rest. And then the Suns kept the lead, and he didn't have to come back in until around eight minutes. And then he took uh, one more three to get to six, and then he took a, another three to get to uh, – that he missed – that, to put him at 10 attempts, six out of 10. And they didn't take another three after that. So, um, yeah, it's crazy. This, I've noticed several times that he's gotten to five threes in the third quarter and still doesn't exceed six by the end of the game. It's just, it, man, I don't know what it is. Two things I want to bring up here, uh, take, and it does kind of include what we're talking about with Devin, but with Igor, you look at it and uh I think we're starting to see that that he was he was labeled as a player development coach, a guy that was going to come in and help these young guys. And I think we're starting to see the fruits of that labor. And that's something that, as impatient as we are in general as a society, as impatient as we are as Suns fans after everything we've been through, uh, I think we underestimated that it takes some time for that to happen. I think we're starting to see that uh, that growth with some of these uh, some of these young guys, even. Even as frustrating as Josh Jackson is, I think we've started to see him understand his limitation, understand his role. Uh, we've seen that. And then I find it interesting, and I briefly touched on this last week, but uh, reports come out the the day of that Miami game that if the Suns lose that game, Igor is going to get fired, right? Since then, they've won four of five. To me, that says uh, that this team genuinely likes and believes in Igor because they, instead of folding, which you easily could do at that point, they've decided to play the best basketball they have all season since that report. I think that the, both of those factors are, are highly encouraging for what <clears throat> the future of Igor Kokoshkov can be here in Phoenix if given the opportunity. Yeah, we haven't seen, we didn't see the players like go to the media and say anything about, oh, we got to keep Igor, Igor is great. But I think that's just because they're above that. I think they're um, – I don't know how much of that rumor got to the players before that Miami game where I really – some of it obviously, but um, probably not as much as the media made of it. I think uh, the, <clears throat> the the turnaround that I saw in that Miami game and that the players were talking about was Devin Booker suddenly starting to go play the right way, pass the ball, move the ball – to his teammates on the bench in the and the, and that's what the guys were talking about after the game they're like Devin was really really vocal you know breaking that was the breaking the 17 game losing streak game and the thing that the players chose to talk about was Devin Booker becoming more of a leader and since then the whole team has been passing the ball a lot more including Devin Booker not being a not being um uh, uh and basically not trusting his teammates he's been trusting his teammates and i think that's made a huge difference in these guys uh speaking of igor kakashkov so we've talked at length about some of his uh, uh successes and shortcomings as a coach in his rookie season and over the last couple of games, over the last uh, last week, he did something really interesting that I haven't seen a lot of other teams do. And this was when they were uh, playing against LeBron James. Is Igor 
to his credit that game, because I didn't think it was working some of the time, uh, put the center on LeBron James the entire game, regardless of whether or not that was DeAndre Ayton or if it was Rashawn Holmes in there. Uh, and it ended up working. You know, there was there was a time in which uh, I think JaVale McGee was 10 of 10. Uh, Igor made mm-hmm. a change. He brought in <clears throat> Dragon Bender, uh, and that was able to quell some of, some of the size issues that were, were plaguing the Suns down the stretch in that game. And that was really... Uh, from a coaching standpoint, he had a game plan. He stuck to it. He didn't let the other coach out coach him. He made some adjustments and he won the game. Uh, well, then, I think the brilliance in that move was it kept DeAndre Ayton locked engaged. in on both ends of the mm-hmm. floor all game. That like because LeBron got his. I mean, it wasn't like they shut him down and he scored two points in that loss, but but it kept DeAndre Ayton fully engaged on both ends of the floor, and it was one of the better games we've seen. And that's that's mm-hmm. a smart move by a coach to figure out how you can get one of one of your key players to to provide the most all game for you. Look, if it was a seven game series, DeAndre Ayton is not going to have that much of a uh, a positive effect defending LeBron for seven games. He's not a defensive player of the year type. He's not a Kawhi Leonard, um, but. What it did was is it, <clears throat> it it basically took away the bully ball a little bit that LeBron James likes to play on driving on guys and made LeBron a shooter. And so obviously you can't defend Steph Curry the same way because Steph will just make 10 threes. LeBron's not going to make 10 threes. So he's going to want to pass the ball. And like Greg mentioned, you know, JaVale McGee was 10 of 10 because the Suns didn't have any other size out there. Um, but it basically took the Lakers out of what they really, really wanted to do and let the Suns um, guards, uh, their wings, actually defend the passing lanes as much, you know, and disrupt that behind Aiton. Um, but as you said, they kept DeAndre Aiton engaged the whole time. And that's really important. When DeAndre Aiton is mentally engaged the whole time with a plan, with knowing exactly what to do, he stays engaged and he had one of his best games of his career. His, this entire four four wins in, in five nights career um, is, or excuse me, four wins in five games uh, stretch is the best stretch of Aiton's career. Um, and, and just being engaged the whole time and doing things on both ends of the court that we've, we've wanted to see. This is a natural progression. And yes, we should give Igor Kokoshkov some credit for this because he didn't overburden DeAndre Aiden too early. And he went to a lot of trouble not to overburden Mikel Bridges. Remember in the first month, we are like, why isn't Mikel playing more? Oh, he's just not ready yet. Well, he looks like he's ready, but he's not ready yet. And now Mikel is ready uh, and has been ready. And he did get his minutes increased every single month. And, and he's He's proven it, and I think Igor might be a little slower than we want him to be. He's not a magician. He doesn't know in advance what's going to happen. He doesn't have the tricks already up his sleeve. He's he's watching. He's a little bit more methodical. Um, but uh, I think we're seeing, yes, we're seeing good fruits of that labor um, over this stretch, and he's finally got some real players that he can depend on. Well, and would you rather... I mean, let's be frank. It, would it have been nice for DeAndre Ayton to just come out and dominate the league in year one? And yeah, of course. Absolutely. But, right. but would you would you rather have DeAndre Ayton, Mikael Bridges? A lot of these young guys have that slow burn and have a great long career and and be great in, in the coming years, or or burn bright and flame out real quick? Because I have a feeling. One of uh, of these uh, young rookies that have been showing off this year is going to flame out. It, it just it just mathematically, one of these guys is not going to be going to be a star, even though he looks really good. I lead towards it's probably Trey Young, but who knows? It could be be any of these guys. And I'd much rather have a guy that that's brought along the right way, that learns and then uh, it then hits his stride year two, year three, and it builds upon it than a guy that that maybe flames out. So I'm all right with, with DeAndre coming along this way. And we always knew big men uh, take a little longer to develop than uh, than guards. So I'm I, the progression has been very encouraging to me this week. DeAndre Ayton is... Uh, leading the Suns in win shares 5.5 this year, which is impressive because the Suns hardly have any wins. Um, the highest <coughs> since Bledsoe in 14-15 uh, and Dragic in 13-14. Um, I think Bledsoe had 5.8 and Dragic was around 10 that season. 
Um, but, you know, he is leading the Suns in, in win shares. Take it for what you will. Alex, Alex Lynn led the Suns in win shares last year. I don't think Devin Booker actually ever has. No, because uh, win shares is calculated based on the box score stuff, you know. So it's about um, scoring efficiency and and all the, the box score things. And it's Devin Booker has always... What's that? Sorry, Toledovich did one year, fifteen sixteen. <clears throat> he uh, he led the Suns in win shares. Hey, you do not right. laugh at it's... Miles Toledovich, all right? <laughs> What's his name? <laughs> did I say Miles? You did. Yes. <laughs> oh, did uh, Toledovich? Just leave me alone. He had the. You know why I got it confused? Him and Miles Plumley had the best hair I ever saw on a Suns roster oh, while no, I was there. Was so. Great. Oh, and hey, prayers to uh, Milos. Isn't it Milos? Yeah, Milos Toledovich. Yeah. Uh, prayers to him because he's out of the league again because of those darn blood clots. Is he? And he's not going to be able to play again. I feel so bad for him. You know who I saw on TV the other day interviewing a player and I thought he was still playing? Uh, Jason Terry. I thought he was still playing. Just kind of like the, the 15th guy on the bench that's not actually playing. Was interviewing games. Vince Carter? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> no, I think it was, uh, it was uh, Kyle Lowry that he was interviewing. But I was like, man, these players, they go really quick uh, into their broadcasting careers. And so I watched, what was the game? It was it was a, it was the Rockets uh, versus Toronto, and it was a players-only broadcast, and it was Grant Hill, mm-hmm. Isaiah Thomas, somebody else were the announcers. They got to stop. They they got to stop. They're ter- I mean, the the commentary on it is just awful. They clearly don't even know all the players' names because they can only talk about three <laughs> of the players. Uh, it's just, and they'll say oh, things man. like "really great defense," a lot of hustle, but they'll do it over and over, and that's their only was, commentary. Right? There was one. There was one player they really wanted to talk up, and he was just getting worked for like five, ten straight minutes of, of of court time, and just getting worked and worked and worked. And he finally did one good play, and then the outro going into commercial break was. Blah, blah, blah. It's finally, it's taking over the game. He's dominating the game. Look at this play. And he had like, literally, that was the only good play he had in 10 minutes. I feel like, I feel like we had this segment of pod last podcast. We did. Oh, we did. We did. But (laughs) I wanted to, I I wanted to bring up, I wanted to bring up the specifics of how bad that, that TNT uh, broadcast was great game, uh, but terrible, terrible broadcast more. So I just, I really thought Jason Terry was still playing. You know, Vince uh, Carter guys... Vince Carter is going to be the only player in NBA history to uh, have his career span four decades if he plays next year. That, yeah, he that, said that, he's that. not coming back, but don't you think you would if you had that chance? He 100%. said he might this week. This week he oh, said he? he might. He, he's got enough in the tank. He might go one more. What so. I thought was funny is Dirk Nowitzki is – He's just he's just hamming it up this whole year. He just loves it. And in every place, he hasn't announced his retirement, but every place he goes, they have some kind of recognition or standing ovation or cheer. And then, like, uh, just after a game one time in the last week or so, he's like, I might play next year. <laughs> yeah. How great would that be if he's just been trolling everybody? He's like, yeah, I got that. I got that nice all-star game that I got to go to, but I'm coming back next year, baby. Give me one more. <laughs> And what's what's crazy to me is we thought Vince Carter's career was dead when he was here in Phoenix, and that was, was almost a decade ago. ago. <laughs> Dude, just still playing. And well, I, I like it too because it's not like he's uh, he's ring chasing. It's not like he went and joined the Warriors so that he could play two minutes no. a game. He's on a bad team, so he can actually play. Last just like year the hoop. too, Grizzlies. The year before that, Kings, Grizzlies, and Hawks are his last three teams. The Suns I feel like he just, he Why just isn't enjoys... he playing for the Suns? It feels like he should be playing <laughs> uh, for the Suns. I mean, they they need wash up veterans. Uh, that's clearly the uh the the mo although i will say tyler johnson to your point dave is 26 years old right in his prime yeah he's not washed up it's amazing to me that that's a veteran that guy is is almost a decade younger than me and it's it's amazing to him too i've asked him and he's like i just can't believe i'm one of the oldest guys in this room (laughs) (laughs) who the hell put this together is basically what he's saying well my favorite part is when they're someone's commenting on tv is saying and he's 33 years old and he's still playing at this level i'm like man that that ain't that old guys no no but nba NBA, But when we're talking 26 being old on this roster, that's absurd, all right? Even even in sports, that's absurd. He is, he is the third oldest guy in the rotation at I, 26. I really like the fact that Igor is now playing Troy Daniels. Yeah, Troy's the second oldest, and he's only 28. Mm-hmm. 
Of course you like that he's playing Troy Daniels because you have an irrational love of Troy Daniels. <laughs> I just you know I what? think I... that what I think that he offers value and it's and he's playing well and it's nice that he gets to play. I do have an irrational love for Troy Daniels. I, I do I love Troy Daniels. <laughs> Thank you. He has Thanks. been. Um, I've I've loved watching him play all year too. Um, more so than in prior years, and maybe I just wasn't watching very closely. I don't know, but. Um, he does bust his butt when he's out there, and he's not good at anything but shooting. But he tries at least, and I, I appreciate that. Man, I loved it that that play he had. And I don't know if we talked about this last week already either. Um, I am getting old, but uh, the play he had where he blocked, who was it? Was it Giannis? Yeah, at the, uh, in it, the Bucks game, he uh, he stripped him. You know, he did that thing him. that short players do. And where he's they like, just... oh, dude, I fouled the hell out of him. I wasn't going <laughs> to let him score. But the ref didn't call it. And he just stood there like dumbfounded that the play was still live. And he had the ball in his hand. He literally stripped him and held the ball. And he's like, okay, I'll drive down to the other end. And he and he juked three different defenders on the way to the hoop for a left-handed fall down um, a bank shot. Um, that for a three-point play, that was like the most improbable play in the in in the entire season, probably for the Suns. And even after the game, Troy's like, "Oh man, I, I fouled the hell out of him. I meant to foul him." <laughs> See, he knew he knew he was playing with house money, so he figured he'd go down and do something crazy on the offensive end, right? Well, he's like, <laughs> nobody else is moving. Everyone thought the play was over. He's like, "Okay, I'll take it down." And <laughs> It was awesome. Watching him dribble does make me laugh, though. He is not a he is not a great dribbler. No, he's not. Which is surprising <laughs> that he was able to juke out two guys in space and then and then went into a guy at the rim. Oh, you know what he did? A play that he had this last week was he uh, he ran a pick and roll perfectly with yes. a bounce pass to DeAndre Ayton. I was like, no way that just happened. No, that's too. Uh... Well, he did do one of those, but the one I loved was was the one to Rashawn Holmes where was he drew Holmes? the defenders toward him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he's like, "Oh my God, I have this!" And he just totally reached, you know, reached around the other defender and and dribble and threw the ball to Rashawn for the wide open dunk. That was awesome, Dave. I think you need to set up an interview for Tim to just have ten minutes for, on the show to talk with Troy Daniels. <laughs> just a love fest, you know. Maybe I can get you guys to Facetime. I'll, I'll see if I can. Here's FaceTime. the thing. So a, a listener hit me up. I had made a tweet the other day about how much more I enjoy watching the Suns with Tyler Johnson and Kelly Oubre. I just think they're more fun team to watch uh and he responded and he said good because you've been kind of a a curmudgeon on the podcast recently it's like yeah probably (laughs) i mean but you know we're looking at another shithole season if you will it's 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 hard as much as dave wants to stay positive it's hard i don't want to say i just am tired of being negative there's so much negative and there's plenty of reason to be negative i get it but i'm just tired of talking negative This week was fun. We should celebrate it. We don't get a lot of weeks like this. And uh, yeah, sure, there were some negative things that came out. But on the court, this team uh, is is being fun. And they found a way to isolate uh, themselves from all that other noise right now. And that's that's exciting to me when that. When a group like this, including Igor, uh, finds a way to say, you know what, I don't care about that other stuff. James Jones, Robert Sarver, they all can do whatever they need, but we're we're the 15 guys uh, that that are here, and we're the only ones that can have each other's back. So let's go out there and and do something about this. That's what I love, and that's why sports is interesting because you can have a game where the Suns, the worst team in the league, go out and play the best team in the league in the Bucks, and that that they band together and find a way to win, and they play well, where they find a way to hand LeBron James uh, what people are calling the worst loss of his career because they come together despite all the other crap. And that's why sports is interesting. I love that the Suns ended, basically effectively ended the Lakers playoff hopes by beating them. And the entire basketball world was like, it's over. And even LeBron <laughs> is like, oh, I'm on a minutes restriction. It's over. <laughs> uh, somebody on Twitter, because uh, Bron said he was um, – going into uh, the playoff push or something like that, like a playoff mode, playoff mode activated, right? Early. And then someone on Twitter just took the P off of there. 
layoff mode activated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Off-season mode activated. Congratulations, <laughs> LeBron. Enjoy the first off-season you'll, you'll have starting in April in a very, very long time. And you know what? But he deserves yeah. it. Like, why go out there, get swept by the Warriors the very first round? Like, what does that actually do for him? He does have Space Jam 2 that he has to film this summer, which I'm really excited we about. We all could have predicted that he was not going to have playoff success by coming to the West. Uh, his his greatest cha- his greatest feat uh, was staying in the East for his entire career, so we could get into the finals and lose. I always thought this was a vacation season for LeBron. If one of his goals is to really play with his son in four years, then he couldn't have had another year where he put uh, you know put all that additional mileage on his body. So he said, you know what, L.A. We're gonna we're gonna have one season where we suck. We're gonna get a second superstar in year two. That's when we'll really try this. If we make the playoffs, great, but we're not gonna make a run. It's better for me in the long term and it's better for business because I can film a movie and <clears throat> yeah, you just in my mind as you're saying that, I, I started thinking about that Miley Cyrus Party in the USA song. <laughs> That's basically LeBron showing up in LA for a year going, Hey, let's have some fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hey. I got my business stuff. You know, I've got to tell you that there's never been um, a situation. I am I'm not aware of the Rich Paul Run Clutch Sports Group who have uh, have made any moves that weren't in the best interest of the individual player, and uh, they they don't care about the team as much as they care about the player. Oh, and this nor, is just one more example. I mean, that's mm-hmm. not they don't represent the team; they represent the player. Yeah. Oh, I know, but usually. Um, it's not this obvious that they, they have been more obvious about the player than any other agent has been in the NBA in history. You know, the best thing about it has been a rough 10 years. It's been tough to be Suns fan. It's been tough missing the playoffs for, for what'll be nine straight seasons. But if you look at it, this is the worst run in Lakers history too. They're going to miss the the playoffs for the sixth straight season. And I don't think they had missed the playoffs six <clears throat> times in their entire existence before that. So at least, Rings. yeah, you know, at least as bad as this has been, at least it sucked for Lakers fans. Too. Well, the thing is, and so- I'm happy for the Kings um, yeah, that are, are sniffing the playoffs. They're currently right now out of it in ninth place, but um, they can still make the playoffs. They're on what? 15 straight years yeah. without the playoffs. Uh, Jeannie, it does get worse. Jeannie Bus made a comment that the the Lakers' biggest enemy is uh, uh, the media and fake news. No, 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 no. The, the the biggest enemy is the fact that you got LeBron James and you surrounded him with JaVale McGee, Michael Beasley, Lance Stevenson, and said and Rajon Rondo, a bunch of players who right. can't shoot, and said, "Here you go." No. Somebody replayed Magic Johnson's uh, summer league interview about how he built the team. Did you guys watch that? No, no. And he the spent, Lakers he are back. The, he spent five minutes talking about how um, the teams with shooting don't win in the playoffs. The, the teams who can't shoot are the ones who can win in the playoffs because they play harder defense. He spent five minutes going off on that. The Boston Celtics are not great shooters, but they 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 went further in the playoffs than teams with shooters. I'm like, mm, did you not watch the Golden State Warriors at all? Uh, uh, it's, and, and LeBron in, in the East coming in, he had shooters around him. I love Dave Griffin being interviewed last summer as well, uh, former GM of the Cavs. He's like, you know, uh, you know, what was that famous line from uh, Dodgeball? It's it's a it's a bold move, Cotton. Let's see how it works out for him. That's basically what Dave Griffin said over the summer. Um, that uh, you know, we sound we surrounded LeBron with shooters. It's possible it'll work if you surround him with guys who can't shoot, but we'll we'll just have to see how that goes. We never thought so when we went to three straight NBA finals. <laughs> I mean, if you were to pick the four worst players in the NBA to surround LeBron James with and then do it, that's essentially what they did. No, Lance I, I mean, there's uh, not Rajon worse, Rondo, there's not worse <laughs> There's not. You cannot find one. And then why the hell didn't they keep Brooke Lopez? That's the part. Like, do you know how good Brooke Lopez would have fit on the Lakers? Not to make this a Lakers podcast, but some shooting from the center position would have been great. Yeah. Also, somebody and that could can, defend. And he can rebound and play defense. Right. I don't. I love it 
Destroy the Lakers. If yeah, I have to be miserable, come come along. We're not, oh, you not going to help the Lakers out with any of this. Yeah, I think they <laughs> should bring back all those players for next year. That's what I think. Let's, let's run them back the next four years. I'm, I'm good with well, that. Well, remember how much James Jones helped out the Lakers by giving them uh, Tyson Chandler? Hey, if you go back and look, at actually, from when uh, when they got Tyson to when LeBron got hurt at Christmas, they actually were spectacular in that time. They were fourth in the West. I think they were six, went 16-8. and eight. Uh, It was LeBron's injury that did him in. And Tyson Chandler actually helped during that run. He, so he did. Still not going to back team? off. Well, no, he did. No, he, I watched a whole video about he it. Was, uh, Tyson Chandler was effective for like five games because he's old right. but playing center, and then he just can't do that right. anymore. I mean, that's, you know. But anyway, we've, we've gone on too long. The podcast is now a little over an hour. Uh, the YouTube show is now over an hour, so I want to say bye to you're, everybody. But it was really you're welcome nice. welcome to edit out all the Laker love. Yeah. Uh, it was really nice to talk about wins and some positivity yes, around this. Yes, we can go back to talking about crappy stuff uh, when they're crappy again. But during Next a week. stretch where they're actually winning games, I, I've been I've really enjoyed this podcast. Thank you guys for being so into uh, talking about positive things with the Suns. Thank you, Dave. Anything you need to feel better about your old decrepit self will do. All right. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> On that note, we'll see you guys I gotta next go week. Take my teeth out and and, and bleach them. All right. <laughs> You just got done listening to The Solar Panel. For more great Suns content, check out the Timeline podcast for stuff like this. There's no way that Hakeem Olajuwon makes his own pancakes. <laughs> I'm really sorry that you just made a great coherent point and that's all I had to respond with, but it, all it did was lead me to look up the fact that Hakeem Olajuwon made $110 million in his NBA career and God knows how much since then. He easily has someone at his ranch to make his pancakes, right? That's The Timeline, a Phoenix Suns podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. 